Well, welcome everybody. The good news is everybody showed up today. The bad news is we got to go to two services next week. That's a joke. <laughs> don't, push the, don't put that on the internet. Certainly don't put it on Facebook. Everybody will know about it. Um, it, it is so good to see everybody. It is good to be back as one family. Um, you know, God has just impressed upon our hearts that uh, we needed to do this. I'm not deterred by it in any way. It doesn't disturb me. I, I know that God does things and there are ebbs and flows in every relationship. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we need an awakening. We need God to, to, to awaken us. And I believe that he's doing that a little bit. So today we're here and we're kind of changing things up a little bit. And I know that uh, some people don't necessarily like some of the things that we're doing up here on stage. I know that, that there are some people that are like, ah, that's really not for me. Let me tell you something. I, I think that there has been a sense within me that I've been a little bit hesitant to do some of the things like I felt God was drawing us towards. And uh, maybe that was to try to appease somebody or to appease some people so they don't leave. Um, maybe that's the reason we're down to one service now is because some people will leave as a result of that. And that's okay, but I don't want to be who God hasn't called us to be. I'm going to be who God has called us to be, and I'm going to try my best to follow the leadership of His Holy Spirit, and we're just going to do what I feel like God's calling us to do and not worry about the ramifications of that, okay? All right, so that's where I am. And one of the things that I feel so passionate about, and if you know anything about me, you know that I'm crazy about this, and that is the Word of God. And we've been talking about, for the past two weeks, we've been talking about how precious the Word of God is and how much it gives us, how rich it is, and how beautiful it is. And we looked in Psalm 119, and we looked, I mean, this, there's like a ton of verses in there, right? There's like 22 stanzas broken up in eight different sets of verses in each stanza. And we've been going through it like we did it in big chunks and I'll read to you for like an hour and a half and you're like, man, that's a lot of information. But it's been, it's been so good to just hear the psalmist reiterate just how good the Word of God is. And if you know anything about me, you know one of the things that drives me crazy is when people take Scripture out of context. You, you, they, they like to, to take a verse and they'll use that and, and try to make it mean whatever they want to make it mean in their life. And I go, well, that's not really what it means. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I want to talk to you about people that take Scripture and they twist it and try to make it into something that it's really not. Now, they try to do it. They try to do it with good intentions. And they try to do it in such a way, well, it's, it's good that I do that, right? So I'm using this Scripture in such a way that, that it's, the end result is good. And I don't think that's the case because you know that Satan did that. The serpent did it in, in, in the garden. He, just, he took the truth and just twisted it just a little bit. And what happened? Sin fell into the earth. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and, and sin ravaged the earth, and we're still suffering as a result of that. And it was just because Scripture and what God had said had just been twisted a little bit. You know what I mean? And that's what happens. That's what happens. We just twist Scripture just a little bit, and we, we have good intentions in mind. But what happens when we do that? We distort the image of God. We distort what God has said about Himself. So one of the things that I am extremely passionate about is taking Scripture in context and explaining what it means. And I was, I was questioned about this a little bit this week, and I, I want to share that story with you in just a few minutes. But let me tell you something, that when we take Scripture out of context and we say, well, this is, this is really where it applies in my life, and we don't really see the actual connection between the context of what is going on in the particular story that we're reading, and we twist it just a little bit to meet the context of our lives, that we begin to distort the image of God. And that's why I am so, I mean, that, 
I really believe that one of the reasons God has called me to be a pastor of this church is because God has, has called me to proclaim the truth of Scripture in such a way to squelch some of this junk that's being taught out there, some of the garbage that's being taught by people that, that claim that, that they go to seminary and they've learned all this stuff and, and they should have spent more time reading God's Word and less time in a seminary class. And I've sat in deacons meetings and I've heard people that call themselves to be people of God and they'll take scripture and they'll twist it just a little bit. And they go, well, this is what it means. And I'm like, you don't even read this book. How do you know what it means? Yeah. I've sat there and listened to their garbage and listened to them talk and ex espouse like they know everything. And I'm like, man, you, you need to spend more time actually reading what it says and less time telling everybody you know what it says. Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy, and you see, man, some of these, some of these guys got, got their own show on TV. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some of them, I, <laughs> it drives my wife crazy. One of the things I like to do late at night is, uh, is watch some of the stations with some of these guys that are just full of junk, you know what I'm saying? And I, I get up there, I'm listening to them, and I'm like, that ain't even what it says, man. Yeah, I wish you'd read the, the verse before it or the verse after it, and then we could really look at what it says, but... But you just want to take this little chunk and try to make it fit just so you can have a little feel-good sermon and everybody can walk out smiling and maybe somebody else will come into your church and give you another tithe. And I'm like, no. No, I think we should stick to what it says. And if nobody comes and nobody gives a tithe, then we should still stick with what it says. And that's okay with me. I'm going to do the best I can to stand up here and proclaim the word of God. And I believe if we do that, I believe if we stick to what God has said and we don't try to twist it or change it at all, I believe God will sustain us and God will take care of us. And financially, we'll continue to be able to preach the word of God. And I, I know that, man, worship styles, people get all fired up about that and they get fired up about lights. And, and just so you know, the, the building is not on fire. That was what they call haze. Okay, so that's what that was. <laughs> Some people are like, get the fire extinguisher, <laughs> you know. No, it's called haze, man, and they, they use it at, at some other churches, and it's okay, man. It really is. It really is. God's not going, man, I can't even hear their praises. It's too foggy in there. You know what I mean? That's not what's going on. <laughs> you know, God, I promise you, he can hear you through the fog. Uh, he, can hear you he can hear you through a baseball cap. You know, if you wear a baseball cap, you can still pray to God. Do you know that? I figured that out one day. I was, I was praying to God, and I had a hat on. I went, oh, no. I think my prayers just got blocked. You know what I mean? Like, I was feeling around. It's like, I guess I got to redo. Let me take my hat off. Now, I believe in showing honor to God and respect for God, and I've got all that. But let me tell you how you do that. Let me tell you how you do that. You do that in here. You do that in your heart. And, and I believe when we talk, about, we talk about our lives and giving our best to God, and, and we talk about excellence up here. Now, we can't do that by me, me wearing leather shoes with tassels on them, okay? I, I can't. That's not the way that I can give my best to God. You know how I give my best to God? By getting up early on Sunday morning so I can pray to God and get my heart ready and get my eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how I can give my best to God. It got nothing to do with what kind of dress slacks I'm wearing. Right? We want to give our, our best to God. Well, it ain't got nothing to do with whether you're wearing a baseball cap or not. It's got everything to do with the condition of your heart. So let's look at what God's Word said. Man, I could go on and on and on about... So many things, but we, we're going to... I'll talk about these things as we go through the passage today. So 
admittedly, look, there's seven different stanzas here, and admittedly it's a lot of scripture, but we're just going to praise God by reading his word. We're not going to deny God the opportunity to speak to us by us skipping over a passage or trying to, to, to summarize something that doesn't need to be summarized. We just need to read God's word and let it speak to us. So that's what we're going to do. In Psalm 119, beginning in verse 121, it says this, Don't leave me to the mercy of my enemies, for I have done what is just and right. Please guarantee a blessing for me. Don't let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes strain to see your rescue, to see the truth of your promise fulfilled. I am your servant. Deal with me in, uh, in unfailing love and teach me your decrees. Listen to this. So I, I pointed out to you in the past couple of weeks that we look at the fifth verse and the first verse and the last verse to kind of tie each stanza together. Then we look to see some key elements in here. In verse 125, the fifth verse of this passage says, Give me discernment. Give discernment to me, your servant, then I will understand your laws. Lord, it is time for you to act, for these evil people have violated your instructions. I, truly, I love your commandments more than gold, even the finest gold. Each of your commandments is right. That is why I hate every false way. This, this, this is where it gets to be important, okay? So the psalmist is saying here, he says, give me discernment to understand your laws. Give me, give me the ability to digest what it is you're telling me. And I, I, it, it, said, it even goes on to say, and he get, the psalmist gets on this little bit of a rant here, how he despises those that, that don't really understand the laws. He despises those that don't really get the laws. He despises those that, that maybe twist the laws or don't do what the laws say. You ever seen this? You ever get frustrated by somebody who, who you know what God's Word says and you know how you're supposed to act and you see them acting a different way and it makes you frustrated? Well, you ain't alone. The psalmist apparently is in that same boat with you, okay? So, so I, I, I believe this is, you know, that we're not supposed to let the sun go down in our anger, but I believe there's such thing as a righteous anger and we can have that in our lives that God gave us that, that, that emotion so that, that we could understand just what it means to, to, to have this passion, for what is right and what is true. And then when somebody goes the other way, when they go against that, that it does, it, it, it causes something within us. And it, it's, it's, it's an anger, it's a bitterness that comes. And I think that we're supposed to be forgiving and we're supposed to be loving. But I also think that when we look at the ways that somebody's going another way that's against God's law, that it's going to frustrate us. That's naturally going to happen. And when you discern God's ways, when you understand what God has said, when you, you really grasp God's laws and the pattern that you're supposed to have for your life, it's going to frustrate you when you see other people that aren't following that way. I know that in my own life, man, there's been so many times. So listen, here, here's, let me tell you the frustrating thing about ministry. This, this is the frustrating thing about ministry. So I have preached the gospel so many times. And I have discipled kids I have discipled adults. I have, I have taught and taught and taught till I'm blue in the face. I mean, really, like the Word of God, pouring the Word of God into people, pouring the gospel into people, trying to show them through service what it means to go and, and live out a life full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I mean, like, that, I, like thousands upon thousands of people I've probably done that with. And the frustrating part about ministry, you know what percentage of those people actually get it and actually grab a hold of it? and actually hang on to the laws, and actually hang on to the pattern that God has, put, has set for their life. Do you know how many people? It's like 1% or 2%. I mean, I'm serious. I wish I could tell you that it was like, oh, it's like 10%, it's like 15%, 20%. It's, really, it's such a small fraction. You think about the people that have come into Simple Church, 
and the people that have heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them and then have walked out the door and said, I don't want any more of that. I mean, the percentages are so small. And if you're living this life that God has called you to live and you are pursuing Him through His Word and understanding, discerning His Word, praise God for your life. Praise God for your life. You're in a very small group of people. There's a broad road, there's a wide road, and there's a lot of people on it. And you know what that road is? It's their own way, their own desires, their own passions. They're on that road. And then there's a a, a narrow way. And that's the way of God. That's the way that that God has set out for your life to be lived. And that's the pursuit of Jesus Christ and Him in in your life. There's a lot of people that think they're on the narrow road and they're actually on the broad road. And and really, uh, you know, they, they try to deceive themselves. They try to act like they're on the narrow road. Because they go to church and they, they dress up and maybe they, I mean, I, I've even known people to play in a worship band before. And I, I say, man, you're just deceiving yourself. You're just tricking yourself. You believe that you're on the narrow road and you're actually on the broad road. You're serving yourself. You're serving yourself. And a lot of people that have deceived themselves and believe they're on the narrow road and they're actually on the broad road. And you know where the broad road leads? Destruction. Destruction, ultimate separation from God. A lot of people tricking themselves and believing they're on the narrow road when they're actually on the broad road. And when they lay down at night, they're thinking about not the desires of God in their life, but their own passions, their own desires. That's what motivates them. That's what drives them. It says it frustrates him. He says, each of your commandments is right, and this is why I hate every false way. Your laws are wonderful in verse 129. No wonder I obey them. Now, now you have to understand that the psalmist is passionate about the word of God. The the psalmist is passionate about the truth of God. So too are we supposed to be passionate and loving of the word of God. Because God has chosen to speak to us and we have that ability to listen to God. He says, the teaching of your word gives light. So even the simple can understand it. Now, Keith and I, interestingly enough, were talking about that this morning, that it is, it is so beautiful how the Word of God is written in such a way that, that even if you have limited understanding, you have the capacity, you have the ability to grasp something from the Word of God that will speak truth into your life. Because it is so rich and it is so full, and the fact that it is alive, that it speaks to everybody. And the psalmist is passionate about the fact that it, it says, so even the simple can understand. I pant with expectation, longing for your commands. Come and show me your mercy as you do for all who love your name. Guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. Ransom me from the oppression of evil people. Then I can obey your commandments. Look upon me with love. Teach me your decrees. Rivers of tears gush from my eyes because people disobey your instructions. Now let me talk to you for just a minute about those that twist the word of God. Those that, those that change what the context and what it means and they don't really use it in the way that, that, it, that it's written and it really bothers me. And it, I, I really believe if we're going to understand the context and we're going to understand the message of God. He says his, his eyes rush with tears because people disobey your instructions. People go their own way. And you'll see pastors and teachers do this, this very thing. They'll twist it just a little bit to make it mean what they want it to mean so that they can, they can have somebody else come and that's their desire is to have a bigger, more full church and to fill up stadiums full of people. All of them listening to something that's a half-truth and it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. One example. I've given you this example before and I was, I was asked this question recently this week and 
So if we look at, at a passage of Scripture, like we look at David and Goliath, right? Well, if we look at our lives and say, I have some giants in my life, and maybe that's fear, maybe that's the fear of death, maybe, maybe it's a relationship that I'm afraid of, or a, a reconciliation I'm afraid of, and I overcome that, then, then we can make that correlation between that being a giant in our life and the giant that, that David slew, right? So we could, we, could, we could make that correlation, right? But isn't that technically taking Scripture out of context if we do that? Isn't that taking Scripture out of context? Because I'll get on the, on the fact all the time that Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And I'll say, well, that doesn't mean you can necessarily slam a basketball, right? So just because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you does not mean that you can dunk a basketball. Well, here's the thing. So somebody's like, well, all right, since, since you're, you're saying you can't make that leap, what makes you say you can le- make the leap between David slaying a giant and, and the giants in your life? Isn't that taking Scripture out of context? Let me show you the difference, okay? Let me show you the difference. So in Philippians 4.13, Paul's talking about the fact that he is in a desperate place in his life. And he has very little. He's, he's bound in chains. He's, he's in a dungeon where there's very little light and probably gets fed maybe once a day, at best, once a day. So he has very little. And he says, when he's writing to the Philippian church, he says, he says I, I, can, do, I can rejoice. I can do all things through Christ. In my, in my weakness, in my desperate condition, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, saying that I get my strength through Christ. But that's not talking about some kind of any and every condition that you may endure in your life that, that's, like, that's like, man, this, in this first world environment that I've got, this first world country that I'm living in where I can, I can, I can eat every single day and I've got a place to, to live at night, I've got a place to lay my head down and I've got a car to drive and all that kind of stuff and I just want to be able to slam a basketball. If that, it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a huge leap to take that jump between what Paul is saying and the desperate condition he's in and us saying that that has something to do with our athletic ability. You see what I'm saying? But when David slays a giant, yes, indeed, there are times in our lives when we're faced with these giants. They're faced with these things that seem to be insurmountable, these obstacles that are, that are just holding us back. And we look at the strength of God in our lives and say, God has the ability to overcome that. And I don't think that that's so big of a leap for us to make that connection with our lives as it is to take Philippians 4.13 out of context. You see the difference? It's the gap. It's the leap that you're taking to make those correlations in your life between your life and the Scripture. I believe that there's a difference. I believe there's a, there's a big difference. And some people will, will take other passages out of, out of context. I, I heard, I was recently at a concert, and I heard a guy say, Man, it is so good to see everybody, see you guys worshiping. And it was a Christian concert, obviously. It wasn't like an ACDC concert or something. So anyway, he's, it's so good to see everybody worshiping. And it's awesome and so excited that everybody's here doing that. And he says, you know, it says in God's Word, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I'll be in the midst, right? Like you've heard that verse like a million times. And it's always used like in a church context, right? You know what it's actually talking about in that verse? Church discipline? Disciplining another believer? So what he's saying there is, uh, it's, it's in Matthew, Matthew 18, I believe it is. We can look it up real quick. I think it's 1820. Correcting another believer. 
For where two or more are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them, right? So you've heard that verse, and people use it in the context of church a lot of times. Well, what he is saying, actually, what Jesus, the Son of the living God, is saying, what he is saying is, is that if you're correcting another believer, you're collect, kind of correcting a brother or sister in Christ, you go to them one-on-one and you correct them. And then, and if that doesn't work, then, then, you know, in Jewish culture, you were to take witnesses with you to testify that what you are saying is true. So he's saying, if it doesn't work for you to go to them one-on-one, then you take two or more with you, because it takes two witnesses. So you take two or more with you, and then you go correct them together. All three of you go together. And when you do that, you can be assured that I am in your presence right then when you're correcting another believer. Now, does that sound like a church service to you? No, it don't. But you know what pastors will say? But it fits. But it fits. Now, I'm not saying that I've never been guilty of it because I've made some mistakes in preaching God's word before. But I do everything I can to understand the passages that I'm, I'm touting up here. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want to ever take anything out of context. I may do it by accident. If I do, do one of two things. Either correct me on it or run as fast as you can out of this building and never come back. You understand? I, I, don't, I, I don't want you to sit here. If you say what he's saying is not true, you need to correct me or run away as fast as you can. Because you don't need something that is not true poured into your life. You need truth, and God has put a desire in your heart for truth. And what is so bad is when people take Scripture and they twist it just a little bit. And they say, see, look at them smile. See how I made them smile when I said that? But that's not what God's Word says. And that's exactly what Satan did in the garden, and that's exactly how all of humanity fell. This result of word just being twisted a little bit and a distortion of God's image just a little bit and what God has said just a little bit. It's not acceptable. And I don't find it acceptable. And you should call me out on it if I ever do it. It goes on to say in 137, let's move on. Oh Lord, you are righteous and your regulations are fair. The, your laws are perfect and completely trustworthy. I am overwhelmed with indignation for my enemies have disregarded your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. I am insignificant and despised, but I don't forget your commandments. Your justice is eternal and your instructions are perfectly true. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commandments. Your laws are always right. They help, to, help, me, to understand, help me to understand so I may live. He's saying that the beauty of your scripture, the truth of your scripture as, as it's written, is that it gives me life. The, 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 when things are, are stressful, when they're difficult in my life, you know, I can go to your word and I can remember what you have said and I can remember the truth of what you have given and that gives me life. That gives me strength and that gives me the fortitude to be able to push on in this desperate situation that I'm in. He says, he says I'm so insignificant and despised. He's like, if when I look at myself and I think about who I am and why in the world you would give me this truth that is able to give me life, I don't even understand it because I look at how insignificant and small I am, but that is the beauty of scriptures that shows us how much God loves us and how we are not small and we are not insignificant. That we are not despised, but rather we're loved. I can't think of anything else in my life that I would rather dive into and have poured into my life than the truth of the fact that I'm not small, I'm not insignificant, and that I'm loved by God. As I pray with all my heart, answer me, Lord. 
I will obey your decrees. I cry out to you, rescue me that I may obey your laws. I rise up early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and I put, I put hope in your words. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. In your faithful love, O oh Lord, hear my cry. Let me be reviewed by following your regulations. Lawless people are coming back to attack me. They live far from your instructions, but you are near, O oh Lord. All your commands are true. I have known from my earliest days that your laws will last forever. I love in verse 149, he points out your faithful love. That's one thing that I cannot get over and one thing that God's Word reminds me of. There's so much I could say about these passages, understand, but I'm just picking out little bits and pieces to to, to throw light onto for just a minute. He says, in your faithful love, O Lord. Now see, in human relationships, in human relationships, it's like you have to earn somebody's love, right? And you feel like that in order for somebody to love you, then you have to earn that. You have to gain that, right? So you do things, you know, like especially when you're young and you, you first start dating or, or talking. Excuse me, it's not dating, it's talking now. Uh, even though you're texting and not talking, it's still talking, I don't understand. But anyway, it's fine. So you're talking and, and you get ready to go on a date. You do still call it a date when you actually go somewhere together, so that's cool. I, I, I can appreciate that connection. But So you, you, what do you do? Man, my daughter's not here today. She's actually at, at her boyfriend's church. Let us pray. <laughs> her, uh, her boyfriend's dad's a pastor, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah, double down on that frustration, right? So, anyway. So, so I, I look, and, and we're going, she's going to visit her boyfriend, right? So... He lives in Rainbow City, Alabama, and uh, boy, I hope she doesn't listen to the podcast. Anyway, so, so she, I mean, like, like we could be going anywhere in Oxford, you know what I mean? Or we could, we could be going to Passion City Church, and she doesn't even get, get dressed up like she gets dressed up to see her boyfriend, you know what I mean? Like, like I mean, there are curls in her hair that I've never seen before. Like, I mean, I'm like, like, wow, is that a new dress? I've I never seen that before. Are those new shoes? Where'd you get those shoes? I didn't buy those, did I? You know what I mean? Like, like it's, 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 a, it's kind of a different kind of perspective, right? Like, it's, it's a whole different mentality. And we, in, a, in, our, in our human way of thinking is we, we have to earn their affection. We have to earn their love. So, so we even do this in adult relationships, too. As you get older, you still do things, and, and you buy flowers or all this kind of Because you want to earn the affection of the, the, your loved one, right? So that's kind of what you do. You do nice things, and, and you even still, sometimes we get dressed up, right? Yeah, sometimes that happens. But anyway, so you do something to earn the affection of the other. What is so beautiful, what God's Word reminds us of, and this is, this is so precious to me, is the fact that I don't have to do anything to earn God's love. That, that His love is just faithful, it's just there. It's, it's like when you're sitting on the beach this summer, because everybody will go to the beach at some point this summer, I know you will. When you watch those waves come in, and you just think about, and we talked about this at youth camp one time, you just watch those waves come in one after another after another, and you think about God's love washing over you over and over and over again and how it never stops. It's just continual, and it continues to press in towards, towards you. And I mean, you, and some of you are standing out there in the waves and you're drowning to death because the water's going up your nose. Just think about the faithfulness of the love of God and how it continues to just wash over you. And how beautiful that is. And there's nothing, nothing that can remind you of this beautiful, unfaithful love 
uh, there's this beautiful, faithful love like, like God's Word. There's nothing that can remind you of that besides reading God's Word. And you go and you look at these passages over and over again and you see God's, God's love just washing over you. Just over and over again. You, you read some obscure passage and, and you're like, I don't even know what that says. And then you read the next verse and you're like, I just feel God's love just washing over me. And, and, and that is, the psalmist here is just passionate about that. He's just passionate about this faithful love, this unfailing love that God continues to pour out on us, and he does it through his word. Look upon my suffering and rescue me, for I have not forgotten your instructions. Argue my case, take my side, protect my life as you have promised. The wicked are far from rescue, for they do not bother with your decrees. Lord, how great is your mercy. Let me be revived by following your regulations. Many persecute and trouble me, yet I have not swerved from your laws. Seeing these traitors makes me sick at heart because they care nothing for your word. See how I love your commandments, O Lord. Give back my life because of your unfailing love. The very essence of your words is truth. All of your regulations will stand forever. Now I know, I know as you're reading this, like, man, we've heard this over and over again. I mean, like, there's been 20 other stanzas where you said the same thing about the unfailing love of God and how he dwells in the commandments of God. Do you understand something for just a minute? Do you understand the, the repetition here that we see in, in these 22 stanzas about how he, is, he has stayed true to his regulations? He is, he is in love with the commandments of God. I mean, have you seen that we truly... We, what if our lives were like that? What if our lives reflected such a repetition of the love of God's Word, how we just repeat it over and over and over and over in our lives, how unfailing God's love is and how great His commandments are and how wonderful His regulations are, that the wicked press in around us, that the wicked have no desire for the laws of God, the things of God, and we continue to just dwell in the richness of God's Word. And it's the meditation of our lives that continues to over and over and over again pour truth into us, how desperately we need it. Powerful people harass me with cause, without cause, but my heart trembles only at your word. I, I rejoice in your word like the one who discovers a great treasure. I hate and abhor all falsehood, but I love your instructions. I will praise you seven times a day. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. Oh my goodness, if we could just have that great peace, that great peace. We so desire that, don't we? We so desire to have great... Who in here does not want great peace? I mean, I can't think of a single person that I know that walks through that door that doesn't desire great peace. You know what, you know what the reality of this verse is? It, it jumped out at me. I, I read this verse and I was like, man, everybody wants great peace, but we're not so focused on the second part of that verse. That we want to adhere to His commandments in such a way that we don't stumble. We want the, we want the great peace, but we want to do it our way as opposed to doing it God's way. So then we stumble and we're like, why do I not have peace? And I've, I've been over and over with that with you many, many times before. I want your great peace, Lord. He said, well, I give you my word. I give you my instructions. I tell you who I am. He says, don't stumble. Stay true to my word. I long for your rescue, Lord. So I have obeyed your commands. I have obeyed your laws for I love them very much. Yes, I obey your commandments and laws because you know everything I do. Now, this, this, this is pretty interesting, right? So I, I was sharing with my family the other day that, that I, I watch this documentary. I like watching documentaries. It kind of, I don't know, I'm weird like that. So anyway, so I don't really watch a lot of television shows, but I do watch a lot of documentaries. And I love the Science Channel. That's just sidebar for you. But anyway, so I was watching this documentary, and they were talking about kids, five, six, seven years old. And what they did is they did this experiment with them, 
And they put them in a room with a dartboard. And they were the foam darts. They weren't going to like let them stick themselves. But anyway, they were foam darts. And what they did was, they said, we're going to leave you in this room. If you get three in the middle, if you get all three of the darts in the middle, then you win a prize. They said, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. So they closed the door. And they said, okay, you've got to stand behind this line and throw the darts, right? So you take a five, six, seven-year-old kid, you tell them they're going to get a prize to get all three in the middle. What do you think is happening when somebody closes the door and walks out? I know some adults in here. I know what you would do, too. I'm pointing five, four fingers back at me when I say that. But So they leave them alone in the room. they got the line on the floor. They say, all right, if you make three in the middle, you get a prize. What do the kids do? <laughs> I'm fixing to get a prize. <laughs> and go up there. And they come back in a minute and they go, All right, congratulations, you get a prize. That's an awesome job. We're so proud of you for doing such a good job. Man, you're a great shot. We can't believe how awesome you did. Right? Then they do this. Then they do this. They say, They bring in a chair, just a chair. They put the chair in the room and they say, All right, we're going to do it again. You get three in the middle, you get a prize. Stand behind the line, throw the darts, try to get three in the middle. But I want you to know that we have put a fairy, an invisible fairy, in that chair right there, and she's watching you throw the darts. All right? So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be back in a minute. Close the door. Five, six, seven-year-old kids, you know what they're doing? Looking, looking back at that empty chair over there. Invisible fairies watching them. And what do you see them do? Well, they, they stand behind the line now and throw the darts. You know what the reality is for us? It's that we're not alone. That we have a God who, who, is, who is continually present. He's continually there. And, and we, 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 don't, we don't always acknowledge He's there, but when we have troubles, we acknowledge He's there. And we like the fact that he knows everything that I do when I'm having hard times or difficulties or struggles in my life or somebody's got cancer or, or there's a broken relationship. I like the fact that God knows everything I do. But do you understand? It says right here, it says, you know everything I do in the last part of verse 168. That as we're doing things in our life, we need to know that God is there and he's present in our lives. And, and sometimes we don't, always, we don't always want to recognize that and we don't always want to say, I've got to do the right thing i got to do the right thing. God has given me instructions. He's tried to give me peace, but, but I've, I've got a choice here, and I've got a choice to do the right thing or do the wrong thing. We need to be of the understanding. We know that God knows everything that we do. We're going to wrap up right here in this, this last set of eight verses. It says, Oh, Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let, my, let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all the commandments are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. Oh, Lord, I long for you, your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you. May your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me. For I have not forgotten your commands. Here's how we're going to finish this up. Here's what we're going to say. You know one of the ways that we show God just how much we're in love with this word. Just how much we desperately need his regulations. You know one of the ways that we do that? By how we sing his praises. 
but how we worship Him. For God, You have chosen to speak to me. You have chosen to rescue me. You have chosen to rescue me, not just from my enemies, but from myself. And God, You have chosen to do that. And You have given me the opportunity to have peace and to not stumble. And God tells us this. And He tells us about His unfailing love. And He tells us about how He continues to pour out His unfailing love on us, even when we turn our backs on Him. Even when we've forgotten the fact that He is in the room and He's watching every single step that we take. Even at those times, His love is unfailing and He continues to remind us of that through His Word. You know what I think we need to do as a result of what God has chosen to do through His Word? I think we need to praise Him. I think we need to sing His praises. And I think we need to sing them out loud. And we need to say, God, what You have said is true. What You have said is good. And what You have said gives us life. That's how we obtain salvation. It's by the truth of God and the fact that Jesus Christ was a living, breathing incarnation of the promise of God. God said it and it came true through the person of Jesus Christ. If that's not reason to celebrate, if that's not reason to celebrate His Word, then I don't know what is. Because that's the only way we're able to get through to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. The living, breathing Word of God. The living, breathing promise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Lord Jesus, God, for this precious word that you've given us, this life-breathing word, I pray that today, God, if there's somebody here that does not know you, that not given your life to you, God, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that they would be rescued from themselves. I pray they'd be rescued from who they are, Lord, so that they could have a relationship with you. We know that, that who we are is what separates us from you. Our sinful ways, our sinful condition, our flesh is what separates us from you. God, but you've given us truth. The truth that our hearts so desire, you've given it to us. And you've given it to us richly, God, so that we may live in peace. And the only way we can have that peace is through you and through what you have given us. So, God, today I pray that we would celebrate your word, that we would praise your word. And, God, that today, today, if there's somebody here that does not know you, they would come today and be rescued. And for those that are struggling, God, because of difficulties in their life, because of of things that have come against them, maybe they're enemies. God, maybe, maybe their enemies are not people coming to attack them with spears or, or weapons, God, but their enemies are, are things like cancer, broken relationships, a wayward child. God, maybe it's sexual temptation, maybe it's drugs or alcohol. All of these things are our enemies, God, because they are against your regulations, they are against your ways, they are against your laws. So, Lord, today I pray that we would be rescued from those things. We come to celebrate the fact that Because of your truth, we can walk in freedom. So, Lord, today, today, for those that have been bound, God, by the difficult things in this world that surround us, as a result of the sin that entered into the world, I pray that today they might find freedom and they might be rescued today. God, through your word, through your truth that we so have a desire for. So, Lord, be glorified as we sing your praises. We praise your name, God, for this precious word that you've given us. God, I pray that you're glorified now as we sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.